1: This is the Daily Blast from the New Republic, produced and presented by the DSR Network. I'm your host, Greg Sargent. The stunning news that Donald Trump has been hit by a $355 million penalty in his civil fraud case in New York deals a major blow to his carefully cultivated mystique as a successful businessman and master of the deal. Justice Arthur Engeron found that Trump's businesses fraudulently inflated the value of his assets to an almost comical degree. But beyond all that, this news strikes at Trump in a much deeper sense. It undermines the idea that his primary aim in recent years has been to put his insider business smarts to work for the people, that is, someone other than himself. Everything, it turns out, is only about enriching Trump. To discuss this, we've invited on someone who's been following Trump closely since the 1980s, financial and tax writer David K. Johnston, author of A New Piece in the New Republic, arguing that Enguerrand's ruling is, quote, a detailed roadmap to Trump's thievery. Welcome, David.
2: Well, glad to be here, Craig.
1: First, can you recap the high points or the low points of his ruling?
2: Well, in 92 pages, the judge shows that every single witness called by Trump lied through their teeth with one exception, and the judge notes that, that uh, some of the so-called expert witnesses were not anywhere near being experts and provided uh, ridiculous testimony, and uh, concluded that Donald Trump's Behavior means that he will continue to commit fraud unless the judge acts to protect the public from his thievery. So he appointed an independent director for compliance, and he gave greater powers to Judge Barbara Jones, the monitor. She must now approve in advance any significant money movements, anything beyond paying like weekly payrolls.
1: And what did uh, Trump and his businesses actually do throughout that period that that engendered this kind of uh, ruling? Uh, what sort of fraudulence are we talking about? What was the purpose of it?
2: Well, Donald has been doing the same things throughout his life, but this case was principally about cheating banks and insurance companies. So he ridiculously inflated some of his assets. He claimed his. Uh, three-story apartment at Trump Tower was over 30,000 square feet when it's 11. uh, He claimed that a building that was losing $9 million was actually making a profit of $64 million a year and other similar scams. And the judge found that Trump knew perfectly well what he was doing. His advisors knew what they were doing. And, And what I find astonishing, Greg, is the willingness of these witnesses to lie for Trump, they expose themselves to criminal perjury charges. I don't expect we're going to see them, but the people are willing to lie for Donald Trump under oath. Is, it's an indication of his enormous power and success as a con artist.
1: Yeah, I want to ask you about that. Your piece gets into it in some detail that so many people around Trump just serially lied and scammed on his behalf at his quote unquote command, as you put it. Um, You've been following Trump since the 1980s, and this is something he's been able to get people to do all along. Where does this superpower come from? I think uh, Michael Cohen, his former attorney who broke with him rather publicly, talked a lot about how one in his orbit sort of felt like they were swept up in something bigger than themselves. And and I wonder, you've been following him closely, where do, what's, what, is this, what is this superpower?
2: Well, Trump always says, uh, I only have the best people, the best people. He actually has the worst people, but he gets people who feel by being associated with this celebrity who became president that that somehow makes them special and they want to hang on to this, and they know that, that a scintilla of disloyalty puts them at risk of being immediately cut out completely because Donald depends on total loyalty. So essentially, he finds people who are psychologically weak, and he's had a number of talented executives who've worked for him, and he's either fired them or they've left very quickly because they understood that Trump wanted them to commit crimes and do unethical business practices, and they were not going to ruin their careers for him.
1: Yeah. And, and I do want to ask you about a key component of the ruling, which bars Trump from running a company in New York, including his own for three years. It was interesting that how this really seemed to wound him pretty deeply. That, it seemed sincere in some sense. At, at one point, he raged that he's done a lot of good things for the city. You've, you've followed him closely. What is Trump's real New York legacy?
2: Well, his real New York legacy is, is, as a con artist, he did build one very fascinating building, Trump Tower. It is not the typical New York steel girder high rise. It's concrete. And it's only 58 stories, not the 68 he claims. But that was, I think, a significant accomplishment for a young man. Inside the building is the cheapest, crummiest construction you can imagine. Uh, So that's not at all his legacy.
1: Right. And, and he became a larger than life figure throughout the 1980s and 1990s. You had the Central Park Five uh, when his newspaper ads attacking the Central Park Five, a group of blacks and Latinos wrongly convicted of rape. Well, it was a case in point. He, he kind of learned to make mass political appeals. It's during that period, didn't he?
2: Yeah, Donald has a great sense of what will grab the attention of people, and he knows how to find journalists who never let facts get in the way of a big story. He's very good at that. And one of Donald's key techniques is that he doesn't speak in nuance, and he never admits the slightest error. So when it was established beyond reasonable doubt that the five young men in the Central Park case were innocent... Donald continued to say, no, they were guilty, just as after he was found by a judge to have raped Eugene Carroll under New York law and defamed her, he immediately resumed defaming her. Now, then she got a second judgment against him, that one for $83 million, and you'll notice that one worked. It did what it's supposed to do. He hasn't attacked her since.
1: Yeah, it's a, you, you put your finger on a really important thing there. The Trump family never, ever, ever accepts responsibility for anything when things go wrong. And in fact, he and his family members attempted to insist that his outside accountants were responsible for accurately val- valuing his assets. I mean, this is a guy who disavowed responsibility for pushing the birther conspiracy about Barack Obama. When when Barack Obama released his paperwork, Trump instead took credit for settling that controversy. And this is what I want to ask on this. This is a case where this tendency actually worked against him, because Engeron concluded, quote, their complete lack of contrition and remorse borders on pathological close quote. And clearly that weighed in determining this severe penalty, didn't it?
2: Yes, and the judge went on to say that the reason he was removing Trump from running his own companies, which is devastating to Trump uh, on a psychological level, was that there was no other way to protect the public from continuing frauds. The lack of remorse and contrition, he said, means they're going to keep doing this, and guess what? They're probably going to keep doing it once, if ever, they are back into running their own businesses, which could be as soon as three years.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a case where that sort of pathological tendency clearly worked against him. Um, there's, I want to get at a deeper element of Trump's scamming here. There's, there's a hidden way that Trump's businesses serve him politically, I think. Um, a lot of low-information voters probably read Trump's perpetually deranged outbursts as a kind of shtick, right? As long as he's perceived to be doing something right business-wise... Perhaps a lot of those voters overlook the derangement. It's, it's, it's understood as him building his brand, doing his thing, just Trump being the Trump we've all known since the 1980s. But I wonder if news like this deals Trump's image a debilitating blow in this sense, too. If he's seen as a business failure, a fraud, the nonstop craziness becomes less forgivable for those voters, right?
2: A lot of low-information yeah. voters don't understand anything about how business operates. And so when they watched The Apprentice and The Celebrity Apprentice, they thought, oh, this is how business works, when in fact it was a joke. It was ridiculous. And so Donald has people who support him in good part, not just because they're low on information, but they see him as someone who stood up to the man. He doesn't pay taxes. Wow, I wish I could, but good for him. And they take this perverse approval of his bad conduct.
1: Yeah, I want to bear down on a point you just made there about what voters think when they learn that Trump didn't pay his taxes, right? Ultimately, this story is really about elite impunity. Trump's original political mystique relied on that idea that he had personal and direct experience of elite corruption. In In, two, in 2016, he openly declared that, quote, not paying taxes makes me smart, close quote. So the basic suggestion was that he knew how elites game the system. Now he would put that insider knowledge of the system to work for you on your behalf. And yet, I just can't help but think a story like this graphically illustrates that Trump's gaming of the system was really just about enriching himself. I mean, isn't that Trump's biggest lie at bottom? And does this news really cut to the core of that?
2: I think the ruling by Judge Angoran is going to hurt Trump with many of his supporters. They're going to see that he's not a modern Midas who everything he touches turns to gold. They're going to grasp on some level that he is a cheat and a liar and not a great business genius because he's had control of his businesses taken away. Now, Donald will spin this as, I'm the victim of an overreaching state, but and some people will believe that. But this will harm him seriously with people. And Greg, uh, he has until March 12th to put up either a bond or $83 million in cash to appeal the E. Jean Carroll case, and I have serious doubts that he can do that. Well, there is a way for him to delay that until after the election, and that's filing bankruptcy, just as Alex Jones, the conspiracy theorist, did, and Rudy Giuliani did in, in December. So don't be surprised if Donald Trump Files for the first time, personal bankruptcy sometime before March 12th.
1: That's a really interesting prediction. I mean, talk about something that would deal his mystique a blow. I mean, he's done it before. Well,
2: I, well Donald would spin that as follows: They forced me to do this. The the corrupt Marxist fascists uh, the, the deep state, they forced this on me. It's not any indication of anything, but their corruption. That's how he'll spin this.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you, you, you talk about that kind of dark language that he'll use. When I was a reporter at the New York observer, I was able to get Trump on the phone quickly. All you had to do was call his office. Right. And, and basically what would happen is as soon as he heard a reporter was on the line, he'd hop on. And, you know, it, it was the same old bluster, you, uh, maybe a little bit higher energy, something he'd probably hate to hear uh, than he is now. And that sort of fast talking and conning and all that, but there was the darkness wasn't there. I, I think back to that a lot. And, and now the sort of the the claims about the deep state and fascism and mass deportations, where did all this come from? You've followed this guy very closely. When did the I mean, obviously, the, the Central Park Five stuff was was virulently racist. But in some sense, he became darker in recent years, and I've I've often wondered where that came from. Do you have any sense?
2: Well, yeah, uh, yes, um, I've had the same experience you have. You can get Donald on the phone in a minute. He's called me at home so many times I can't keep count, threatening to sue me, though he never has. He's hired really good lawyers to come after me. He's never gotten a correction. But Donald, so long as he was largely uncritically covered, and remember, he only reads headlines, he doesn't read the articles as a general rule, Um, uh, he was doing fine. Once he became president, he came under the harsh glare of Washington news uh, reporters and others, and suddenly found himself in a totally different environment than he had had before. Instead of adulation, he had critical coverage by really competent reporters. And I think that's had a big influence on him in recognizing that it's a different ball game, not one he's used to playing.
1: Yeah. And it's sort of, I think, brought out a sort of deeper, darker persecution complex than, than we, we had seen in the past, right?
2: Well, when, when you get in over your head, you often begin to be very anxious And in Trump's case, he'd never done a day of public service before he was inaugurated. He doesn't know anything. And he claims to be the world's greatest expert on 22 subjects, one of which I'm a world-recognized expert on. And he knows nothing about these things. It's all bluster. But once he's in the White House, he's confronted with problems and he doesn't know how to address them. He doesn't know how to take advice from uh, people around him because he's always just issued orders and people had to figure out how to, to cope with them. So this different environment has made him quite anxious. And like all would-be dictators, uh, he wants to lash out at people. If Trump gets back in the White House and becomes our dictator, which he says he'll only do for one day, um, you can be sure that he will immediately begin taking actions against people. I mean, I, I thoroughly expect I would get arrested since he says he hates me more than any other journalist.
1: Well, that would be a badge of honor, wouldn't it be, David? I I do think that this this business of him being this persecuted martyr has given rise to a lot of credulous punditry, which holds that Trump always converts his legal travails to political advantage by making himself out to be the victim of the legal system, the deep state that's always trying to tear him down. But I think in this case, that's not going to work because Maybe it's easier to do when the charges against him are complicated and difficult to follow, maybe with Trump's theft of state secrets. But here, Trump's transgressions are very clear, self-enriching and and, and serial fraudulence and scamming.
2: If you even hear about that, I've I've been closely watching Fox News, and there's virtually no mention of this on Fox News. They're covering all sorts of uh, minor news to avoid dealing with this. But a lot of Trump's support is pretty soft. And all the polling that I've seen, and I go down into the details of the polls, shows that if Trump is convicted of any felony, he, he his support just falls away very sharply. So among the base he has, he is deepening and strengthening his support. His base is not big enough to win the popular vote. That doesn't mean, given the 13 states that are in play, that he couldn't get back to the White House through the Electoral College, even if he loses, as I expect, by at least 10 million votes in the popular
1: voting. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I mean, the, and and I think this really, this type of news and, and the, tr- the trials that are coming really are going to shatter his mystique with a certain type of low information voter who's kind of seduced by the image of him as a bombastic businessman, thinks he's kind of winking when he does things. None of it's real, none of it's serious. This is, this... People, I think, actually do respect jury verdicts on a base, ba- very basic level, and, and, and convictions. I think will will break that that kind of mystique that he's had for a long time.
2: The die-hard Trump voters will be with him no matter what. There just aren't enough of them, and. Getting, winning elections is about taking your supporters and broadening your support so that more people back you. Donald's doing the opposite. He's pushing people away and building strengthening support with with the people who are behind him. And an important thing to keep in mind, I was the first person to say this uh, on national TV last year or the year before, nothing in our constitution would prohibit a convicted felon serving time in prison from being president of the United States, absurd as that is.
1: Yeah, and and I I thought your point about Fox News not covering this is very interesting, and and that sort of helps explain why there's this base of supporters out there that will never accept that what it's what 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 the what is actually being revealed about Trump? I mean, it's already being reported that Trump's campaign is is using the Enger and ruling to raise money. So it turns out the grift will never ever die, at least as long as there are enough marks out there to fall for it. Right?
2: Yeah, I don't think he's doing very well raising money this time. However, he's essentially tapped out, or he's approaching tapping out the number of small donors. Who have money to send him. So you saw him hawking a $399 gold sneakers and then cologne, which of course is designed to take the stink off of you. Um, actual billionaires don't hawk things like that. Uh, it's an indication of how desperate Trump is, but he's never going to stop being a grifter. It's who he is. He was raised to be that. He's been that way his whole life. He's honed his skills. He is indeed the greatest con artist in the history of the world.
1: Well, on that note, uh, let's let's call it a day. Uh, David K. Johnston, thanks so much for coming on. You've been listening to The Daily Blast with me, your host, Greg Sargent. The Daily Blast is a New Republic podcast and is produced by Riley Fessler and the DSR Network.